Welcome to Truly Fit. Welcome to the Truly Fit Podcast, where we interview experts in fitness and health to expand our wisdom and wealth. I am your host, Steve Washuda, co-founder of Truly Fit and author of Fitness Business 101. As a reminder, on Monday, I interview experts in the fitness or health or medical realm, or sometimes even the business realm, because I want to help people in the medical and health and fitness realm become better at their business. In addition to that, we always have people on who have a really good scientific understanding of a particular subject that we try to break down. So we get people healthier, we get people happier, we get people educated. And that's what we try to do in this podcast. So fitness, health, wisdom, wealth, that's what we cover. And on Thursdays, it is me going off the cuff talking about something that I either believe is important that maybe I touched on with a guest that I want to expand on or a topic that is trending in my community. And today I'm going to be talking a little bit about studies and Moving forward here, I'm going to be covering studies, independent studies. I'm going to look through the study. I'm going to tell you what I think was great about the study, what information we can pull from it, the issues that we may have with this particular study, because there's always issues. You can always poke holes in studies, uh, why it's relevant to the times and trending and what we should potentially be looking at down the road or how we could have done this study better. Uh, I really love doing that. And this isn't in any particular realm. I'm going to be looking at everything from nutrition to fitness to health to uh, pediatrics, you name it. I'm going to look over different studies. But today, I'm going to talk a little bit about why, and I do this a lot in this podcast, why we shouldn't be so pigeonholed and why we shouldn't uh, have this one particular ideology where we tie ourselves to uh, a thought process that we preach. And then when uh, evidence comes out against that, we are then sort of backed into a corner. We have two things that we can do. Number one, we can defend ourselves to the end of time, no matter what, and really not look at the evidence with clear eyes. Uh, and feel like we're just backed into a hole and we have to be on team whatever. Or two, you can apologize and look dumb and learn from your mistakes. Uh, So how you can avoid both of those is not really having, you could have principles, you know, overall principles on things you try to do. I want to help my patients. I want to help my clients. I want to make sure that I do my research and give people the best information. But if you have one way that you go about fixing everything and we find out that way is potentially wrong, well, then you're you're going to have problems, and and this has happened over and over and over in the industry. It's going to continue to happen in in both in all the different realms in the fitness and health and nutrition industries. We see it over and over, right? At one point, butter was bad for you, eggs were bad for you. We know that's not the case anymore. And who knows? Maybe ten years from now, that is the case. Things switch back and forth. There's always new evidence coming down the pipe about what what you should eat, what you shouldn't eat. But you know, 25 years ago, they told us to eat margarine. Now they don't even sell margarine. It's off all the shelves because of all the damage it causes to us. Um, if we find out that broccoli is unhealthy, well, it, it won't be a big deal for me because it's I don't have a website called onlyeatbroccoli.com, right? I've probably recommended it at some point to uh, clients before, but but I but I'm not dyed in the wool team broccoli. So you can the whole purpose is that new information comes down the pipe and you just say, hey, we found that this wasn't as healthy as this, and we're gonna change this out for this. We talk about uh, dynamic stretching. We know. As personal trainers and people in the fitness and health industry, maybe not everybody knows this, but you don't static stretch before you exercise. You dynamic stretch. You move around. You want to get the joints moving in in all their full range of motion. You want to get the blood flowing. You want to get vascularity to places that aren't as vascular. And we want to get that, what I consider a flop sweat. That's very important. You want to prime the muscles that you're working and you want to warm your full body up before you do a exercise. In the 1990s, which wasn't that long ago, that was not the case. In every PE class and gym class in the country, you were static stretching before you did anything. So now we know that's not the case. New evidence comes down the pipe and and we change our, our, our thought processes and on how we do these things. Uh, I mean, I can keep going. We weren't supposed to go knees over toes. Now we're learning that that's probably not the case, is that for a lot of people, it's actually really good to go knees over toes. 
I, for anybody who's, who's been overseas to the Far East and if you go to Vietnam and you're in the airport, you're going to see a lot of people who are sitting down and you want to know how they're sitting down. They're just sitting down. Literally, they're they're squatting down as far as they can possibly go. And that's a comfortable position for them because they have the ankle mobility and they have the hip mobility, not only just genetically, but they've been doing it their entire lives. They just sit down. Uh, they don't need a chair. <laughs> um, and we would, we would never think to do that. That would be an uncomfortable position for most of us because we don't have the mobility to do that because we were never really supposed to go knees over toes. We're never supposed to squat, uh, you know, ass to grass, do all these things. And then we developed sort of, you know, fixed movement patterns and compensations and synergistic dominance, which I always talk about. So, you know, we, we know now you can go knees over toes. Now, I'm not telling someone to do that if they already have knee issues. You should be working with an individual personal trainer. But with no issues, starting from the outset, like we were as young kids, we never had an issue going knees over toes. I don't know why we, we thought that you shouldn't go knees over toes. If you look at fighters, professional fighters, two of my favorite fighters in the world right now are Wonder Boy Thompson and Sean Strickland. They both fight with their hands down. Any normal fighting coach would tell you never, never leave your hands down. But Yes, it does allow you to be vulnerable defensively, but they stand far enough away where it's typically not an issue. And then also the punches are coming from a different angle. So other fighters are not used to seeing the punches come from down to up. Therefore, it's harder for them to also be defensive, the other fighters, because they're used to seeing punches at their own eye level. Now they're not seeing it. So that, you know, people, it's it's okay to try different things. It's okay when new information comes out. We have to admit that we weren't right in the first place. We might have to rethink the processes that we go. Right? We know that, you know, seven booster shots is not better than regular immunity. These are, this is evidence that has come out. And uh, even, even more so than that, I don't know if anyone knows about the Nordic studies that have come out. Me, my father died of cancer, stomach cancer, when I was 15 years old. My mother, 20 years later, died of a stomach cancer. So for me, I'm all about being preventative. I get my labs done. I was ready to get a colonoscopy next year um, and go through the normal processes of continuing to look at uh, things like colonoscopies down the road and preventative care so that I can avoid having issues in the GI. Well, you know, now there's a lot of evidence that say uh, th these aren't really helpful. The Nordic studies took about 85,000 people from ages of mid 50s to mid 60s. This was in Poland, Norway and Sweden. And they found out that, you know, all these people who had colonoscopies and, and didn't have colonoscopies, the screening, there, there was no statistical difference uh, for people who died of colorectal cancer. Okay. So, um, you know, what does that mean? It can mean a lot of things, right? It could also, it has a lot to do now with, you know, you, you can screen for things. And in 1992, when you screen for things, it mattered more than it does in 2022, because in the last 30 years, the, uh, the surgeries have gotten better and the medicine has gotten better. So we're able to, you know, our treatment, our treatments are so much better that catching it early isn't as important. Now, I'm not talking about all cancers. I'm not. I'm also not going to pretend I'm sort of a, a hemonk doctor. But in the studies I've read and the people I've talked to and the research I've done, uh, there's a big pushback now from a lot of the oncologists, from a lot of uh, the people who who are teaching in this world too, right? Not just not just in the offices. The people who are looking at the data, who are who have stepped outside of the practice and said, "Do we really need to be doing all of this screening?" Should we be doing mammograms all the time? Should we be doing these colonoscopies? A lot of countries do not do them. Uh, in America, they're always recommended. A lot of other countries, they're not recommended. I would just tell you to do your due diligence. See if it's worth it to you. It's always not worth it for everybody. There was a great story by a, a doctor I really uh, look up to who talked about he had a patient 
who was 74 years old, came in and said, basically, I, I smoke, you know, four packs a day. And I've been smoking four packs a day for at least the last 40 years of my life. Uh, I'm now 74 years old. Well, they said, we're going to go ahead and do, you know, a screening of your lungs. And they did it and they found, you know, a bunch of, you know, ish, a bunch of spots on the lungs. Eventually, they had to come back. Uh, you're not going to sort of biopsy those things. You're just going to go ahead and take them out, right? So he had some surgeries. He felt worse. He had to get some more surgeries. Before you know it, the guy ended up dying two years later. Didn't have any physical ailments at the time, right? Didn't feel bad. Didn't go to the doctor because he felt bad. Had no had no issues. Now, I get this is an anecdotal story, but it's proving a po- It's just showing you a point here is that did, did we ask him if he wanted his life to be optimized? Did we say, hey, do you want to live to 90 years old? Because maybe the only way you're going to live to 90 is if we go ahead and make sure we can get you know, some of these smaller lung cancer issues dealt with. But, you know, if you think you've lived a great life and you've been smoking four packs a day and you want to continue, you know, working on your car and smoking four packs a day and you're retired and maybe it's cut your life a little bit short. Well, then there, there's no point of us doing this intervention, right? There's... It, it, it cuts both ways, literally and figuratively, right? When, when we're doing surgeries, when we're doing these, 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 these larger interventions, it cuts both ways. So you have to know what, what your patient wants if you're in the medical industry. There's this thought, certainly amongst, let's say, the uh, tech community and data-driven people, that more information is always good. We always want more information. And I might have even thought that at some point. But from a philosophical standpoint, that's probably not the case, or at least there's an argument to be made otherwise. And you know, the one argument is uh, the, the vampire problem. If you're not familiar with that, it's essentially if, you know, if you're bit by a vampire, now the, the lens you're looking through is always different. Once you've acquired new information, the lens you're looking through is different. There's despair involved. There's a, you know, Dostoevsky writes about this in some of his, you know, great fictional novels where there's characters who are so going, so paralyzed, right? They're in paralysis because of their despair now that they've learned this new thing and they can't unthink it, right? It's in your mind. It's there forever. So, and, and I know some people might push back against that and say, well, well Steve, what are you talking about? That's, that seems outlandish. You, you always want the data. You always want to make a responsible decision, especially when it comes to your, your medical health. Well, no. You know, there, there are different types of people in this world, and we have to come to grips with that. And this is, this is a quote, so don't uh, yell at me or be mad at me for saying the word pig. But, would, you know, would you rather be a, you know, a satisfied pig or an unsatisfied philosopher? And some people want to be a satisfied pig. And we can't force them to go get all these screenings and then to have to make decisions and have to be in despair based upon what's going on. And the later they move into life, in my opinion— the more apt that we should be to look at that as people in the fitness and health and medical community and say, you know, this this is maybe not something that we want to bring about them in the last 10 or 15 years of their life. I I I can't be the one to say, hey, you need to be dealing with this at any at any given time. Who am I? It's their life. And I think in the medical community, that's because of the fact there's so much money brought in by screenings. What happens with the screening? You get a colorectal screening and they find something. Well, then you have a polyp and they have to go inside and clear that polyp out. Then maybe there's another surgery. Then maybe there's more medications and there's a follow-up appointment. Guess what? That person's come in six times now, right? Do, do you not think there's a tie-in between the finances associated with that person coming in six times and then wanting to do the screening in the first place? Of course there is. So at some point we have to say, when when is this the... When do we actually have either the data or the, if we're, again, if we're looking at this from what I call a wild problem, a problem that doesn't really have just one specific answer, when, how do we analyze this to say, is this worthwhile for every person? And do I have to look at each individual patient differently before I come up with a, a final solution? 
Um, now, you know, moving on here uh, a little bit to, to something different that I, I want to finish with here. The strength community and the health community, and I, I will I will separate those two communities, uh, do work together in some instances. I have nothing against the strength community specifically, uh, except for the fact that I think a lot of them hide the fact that they're always injured. People in the strength community are always dealing with injuries. There's really no way to push past your former personal records, your former PRs, and to get stronger without lifting more weight and taking more risk. Every time you lift more weight, you're taking more risk. That is a fact. And there's a lot of injuries. You see these people before they go into the weight room, they look like a a fucking transformer, right? They're putting on knee sleeves and elbow sleeves and and wrist guards. And I'm like, what are you going in? Are you, are you fighting in the, the final battle of Game of Thrones or are you lifting weights here? Why do you have all of this equipment on your body? But it's because they're riddled with injuries and they don't always talk about that. They don't always let that up out into the forefront. They kind of hide the fact that they're injured all the time because of the, the stressors that they put on their joints and ligaments, which aren't the same as muscles, and they don't grow in con- as together with the muscle, right? And not everything is working together. It's not, it's not as if every single time you strengthen your muscles, that ligaments and tendons are also being strengthened in the same sort of way where they can hold that weight and that tension. So I just want to make that clear. That's the only, it's my only issue with the strength community is that they don't talk about their injuries enough. But they're, this is together, I think, the strength community and what I consider myself in just the health community is that we have a bootleg and Baptist kind of uh, agreement here. And for those who don't know what that is, it's really just like an economic theory. It's on Sundays, you know, the bootleggers and the Baptists both don't want people to drink. For two very separate reasons, they come together to form the same reasoning that they want regulation, right? The bootleggers obviously want to sell alcohol on Sundays. That's how they make their money. And the Baptists don't want people to drink, you know, in the in the eyes of God. It's it's God's day on Sunday. But they but they both want regulation on it for two separate reasons. And I think the strength community and the health community both really point to the Instagram influencers and say, these people are terrible for our community. And one of the reasons why is, you know, for us, the people in the health community, we know that they pass out bad bad information as far as nutrition is concerned. We know that they pass out bad information as far as that, I guess you would say from the, like the mental side of this, like the psychological side, how, how one should approach health and fitness, but from the strength community, their big push, I guess, or their big problem with a lot of the Instagram uh, influencers is the faking of the pictures and i didn't really know this right because i'm not in this community but i came across it recently that like everybody just edits their photos uh, all these instagram influencers and the strength community kind of hates that because they spend a lot of time lifting heavy weights and they they know <laughs> what a body should look like the bodybuilding community understands uh what perfect delts look like they understand what a you know perfect waist looks like and they have to get up on stage and represent themselves and uh, people spend a lot of time in the bodybuilding community and the strength community trying to, you know, form a particular look. So they hate the people who pretend they have this look and aren't actually working for it. And what they're doing is going on Photoshop and Photoshopping it. So uh, I think it's great that we have this uh, uh, bootleggers and, and Baptists kind of uniting here in in my world as the strength people and the health people are both coming after the Instagram influencers. And, you know, I came across a page uh, in particular, I'm sure maybe a lot of my listeners are already familiar with him, but I guess he calls himself Goob, G-O-O-B. And he does a great job of really just pointing out, uh, I think his, his real name is John Dorsey, but he really just pointing out people who are in the Instagram influencer community 
who were liars and uh, why it is, is, is really, I mean, I've talked about this before, you know, Jonathan Haidt uh, in, in his book talks about this as well, um, the coddling American mind and, and how we're seeing such high suicide rates, especially in uh, young teenage girls. And part of it is because of the, the social media component in the 90s, we saw an uptick in anorexia. Part of that was because of all the magazines coming out, you know, all the glamour and model fitness magazines. We had a particular body type everyone was looking at. And now that, you know, that body type changes from time to time, but we still, the societal pressures never change. They're always there and they're only, they're only getting stronger. Uh, the next two episodes coming up, I'm not going to put one out Monday because it's a holiday. So a lot of people don't listen on holidays, but the next two episodes coming out in this, in this order is, uh, respectively is the Instagram, excuse me, the Pinterest episode where I'm going to have an expert on who talks about Pinterest, how we can use it in our businesses and why it's relevant and maybe even more relevant than people think comparatively speaking to some of these other platforms. I know a lot of people in the fitness industry aren't on uh, Pinterest, but why it can be very helpful for your business model. We'll talk about search engine optimization and why Pinterest is essentially the search engine of social media platforms. And then I'm going to have an episode on caffeine. Uh, I never really dug deep into caffeine uh, I know as much as a personal trainer probably should know about caffeine, but that's that's certainly not as much as one can know about caffeine. So I have an expert on coming to talk about caffeine and what it does in our body, uh, things we should know that we don't know, uh, things that are maybe misunderstood about caffeine and things that maybe people are spreading around about caffeine that are that are not true. So those will be two episodes coming up in the following two Mondays. I hope everyone has a great holiday. Thank you for listening to the Truly Fit Podcast. See you guys in the next one. Thanks for joining us on the Truly Fit Podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review on your listening platform, and feel free to email us. We'd love to hear from you. Social at trulyfit.app. Thanks again.